My name is Justin Jordan. I'm the lead minister here at Real Life Ministries and so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We are starting a new sermon series today called How to Read the Bible and I'm really excited for this series because we're going to be covering a lot of different topics in regards to just helping you get equipped to actually understand how to approach the Bible. And so we're going to be talking about uh, meditation, we're going to be talking about context, we're going to be talking about practical ways we actually look at God's word and apply it to our lives. And this is a really important topic uh, because I don't know if you can relate to this or not, but uh, I'm in a stage of my life where uh, I really am the busiest I've ever been. Uh, I'm just about ready to celebrate uh, 18 years of marriage this, uh, here in a couple weeks actually, here in uh, 13, 14, 12 days. I got to make sure I get that right. In 12 days, I'll be celebrating my anniversary, and uh, it's been a heck of a ride and journey with my wife, and we have three kids, um, a 12-year-old, uh, now an 11-year-old, and a 7-year-old, and uh, in the midst of family life, in the midst of church life, uh, in investing in my marriage, there's just not a lot of time left in the day to get to other things. And so um, what ends up happening in my life is busyness begins to rule the day, and what often happens is I end up getting lazy at times when it comes to actually slowing down and reading and reading God's word, reading uh, what other people have to say about God's word and doing becomes more important, getting things done, going from place to place becomes more important than being with the Lord and hearing from his word. And we live in a culture society that continues to get busier and busier. And, and what's fascinating is we even have technology now that's helping us not have to do as much. And yet it seems like in some ways technology actually makes us do even more at the same time. Um, but what's fascinating is in the midst of relying on technology, sometimes I think we actually, we actually move into a place where we actually quit thinking critically. And we allow other things or other inputs to dictate what we think how we read, what we read, and actually, how are we actually learning? Um, one of the things that I'm finding fascinating is we're actually using apps now to do the hard work of reading and writing for us. There's a new app called ChatGPT, and this ChatGPT app is uh, described in ZDNet as a natural language processing tool driven by artificial intelligence technology that it has like human-like conversations um, with us and helps us um, with assisting us in tasks, composing emails, essays, and even writing code. And on the surface, there's tons of strengths to this, but on the negative side is it's actually informing us on how to think, on what to think. And what I find fascinating in the midst of this is a wrestling of understanding what is actually the truth. And what does God actually want us to do in, re in regards to thinking and meditating and writing and discovering the life that he has for us? God's word is written to describe God's character and it's written for his people to help us understand what to think, how to think as we walk in devotion and allegiance to him. And so we got to ask ourselves in the world that we live in, what is it that we are actually inputting into our hearts and to our minds and is it scripture or is it other things? And if it is scripture, how do we actually engage with scripture? What does scripture actually want for us in regards to our minds, our hearts, and actually how we live and how it's supposed to transform us? This series is going to be really focused on those three things. Our hearts, our minds, 
in our hands, our actions on how we actually live. So how do we interact with God's word? Well, one of my favorite passages, the first passage I actually ever preached on, ever had my first sermon in a church is Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. And just to give you an idea as to what's going on in Joshua chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, Moses has died. The, the amazing leader that brought Israel out of Egypt into the promised land, or, or towards the promised land, I should say. He never entered the promised land. He has actually died. He, he is a massive character in the narrative that God is sharing in his relationship to Israel, this nation that he, that he brought and he rescued. And he was supposed to be the one that brought them to the promised land, but, but he didn't. And Joshua is the one that's actually taking over for Moses. And not only is he taking over for Moses, he's actually about ready to lead the nation of Israel into the promised land. And God is speaking to Joshua some very important words about what it is that he needs to do in order to experience the fullness that God has for him and for all of God's people. These instructions are super important for Joshua's mind and his heart and how he's supposed to live. And God says to Joshua chapter 1, verse 7, he says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I want you to notice that key word that was bolded, the word meditate on it day and night. Joshua is told from God to meditate on God's word, the book of the law, the Torah, to meditate on it. And it's then when you meditate on it that to be careful to do everything that's written in it. And he says, then you're going to be prosperous. Then you'll be successful to meditate on God's word word. Psalm 1, the first chapter in the Psalms, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners, take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who, notice the word, meditates on his law day and night. He goes on to talk about that if you do this, you'll be like a tree that is planted and that it prospers. Later on in Psalm 77, verse 11, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work. And there it is again. Meditate on your mighty deeds. God calls on his people to be people who meditate on his word. Now, that word meditate in the Hebrew is the word hagah. It's the word that's translated meditate in these passages. And when we think about that word, oftentimes we think about someone who is maybe kneeling down and being quiet and focusing, or maybe someone who's, who's uh, really in a, a somber place or a quiet place and they're meditating. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. But if we look at the rest of scripture, there's this interesting word picture that begins to describe what Hagah really means. And honestly, if you're saying it correctly in the Hebrew, it's a Hagah. It's got a little bit of a in the back of your throat. And I just want to encourage you to learn how to say Hagah. And if you're spitting on your neighbor when you say it, you're actually saying it correctly. But what is this word picture that we see in regards to Hagah? It's actually found in Isaiah chapter 31, verse 4. This is what it says. This is what the Lord says to me as a lion growls. 
a great lion over its prey. That word growls is the same exact word as meditate. Growls. It's, it's translated that way because Haggah is actually translated in a lot of different ways throughout Scripture. You're going to notice that it means moan, to coo, to utter, to meditate, to growl. Why? Hebrew language is fascinating. It's a poor man's language. Uh, there's only roughly 8,000 words in the Hebrew language compared to the English language that has over 100,000 words. And so what happens in regards to the Hebrew language is oftentimes the writers compose words that have multiple meanings. Much like the word Shema. You may have heard the word Shema. It means to hear, to listen, but it also means to obey. This idea that if you hear or you listen to something, you will obey what God has for you if you listen and you hear. It's the same word, Shema. I love what Louise Verberg says, because Hebrew has so few words, each is like an overstuffed suitcase, bulging with extra meanings that it must carry in order for the language to fully describe reality. So if you think about it, this is what's going on with this word, Haga, which means to meditate to growl, to chew on, like a lion chews over its prey. The Israelites lived in a land where lions roamed and threatened flocks. They made a point to study lions and use different words that sound like a lion. Haggai is one of those words that they use to describe as an animal eats over its prey. It's also onomatopoeia, a word that sounds like its meaning. You know this. You've, you've been taught this in English class. The word buzz. It sounds like what you hear it. A bee's buzzing. A clash of cymbals. A boom. A hiccup. A jingle. A crunch. A splash. It's the sound that a lion makes. A... That sound that a lion makes when he eats over its prey. And I just want to have you maybe take a look at this YouTube video to help you understand what that sound actually looks like. Because we live here in America, not Africa, or in Israel, or in other places where there's lions. So maybe you've never experienced this, but I want you to watch this YouTube video just to help you understand the sound that a lion makes as it growls over its prey. Take a look at this video. Did you notice the way they growled over the prey? And it was a growling of satisfaction, a growling of understanding that they are getting consumption with meat. And the reality is when it comes to God's word, we are supposed to have the same type of mindset where we, we, we meditate, we chew, we consume God's word, and it is satisfying to not only our minds, but to our heart. To our souls. It meets us to the very, very, um, to our very souls, our very guts, I would say. And this is how we're actually supposed to approach 
God's word, to meditate on it. Job 23, 12 puts this. He says, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Have you ever thought about that? Do you actually desire God's word more than food? Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them, Jeremiah says, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord, God of hosts. And so God's word has been given to you to be a joy that you consume, that you growl over, that you meditate on, that you chew. And that meditation, yeah, it may be quiet, but your heart's description your mind's description is one where you are fervently pursuing it consuming it with everything that you've got and so when it comes to this idea of meditating do you actually do that do you actually meditate on God's word do you actually spend time chewing on what God has for you and actually choosing every day to spend time with him because he has words for you when you think about your home group and you visit your home group, is your home group in your mind a spot where you come and you sit and you just listen to one guy talk and you just passively listen only and then leave? And maybe you think the sermon is that way. Or do you see home group as a place where you and your friends get together and begin to meditate, chew, wrestle with God's word together, wrestling with what God has to say. How intentional are you about digging into God's word? What is your heart inclined to? What is your heart pursuing? Day after day after day, what is it that your heart is inclined to consume? And are you committed to wrestling, chewing, meditating on God's word? Or are there other things that become more important? Other things that you have to do? What if we were a people that were committed to every morning, maybe every evening, chewing on God's word, believing that all throughout the day, that thing that the Lord is speaking to you on has implications for how you are called to live. And what if we looked at God's word from the perspective that it actually thrusts us into a place of not only living, but it thrusts us into a place that is amazing and joy-filled, and that it actually would do what Joshua was told by God in Joshua chapter 1, that it's then when you stay focused on my word and you meditate on it, then you will be prosperous and successful. What if we actually looked at God's word from a different perspective and we actually dug into it? Psalm 19, 9 through 10 paints another picture of the reality of what God's word is like. Not only is it supposed to be something we meditate on, and not only is it supposed to uh, lead us towards prosperity and success in life, and in, in really the prosperity and success of what God has for us in this life, a satisfied life, but the Bible also paints another picture in regards to what God's word is like. It says, The fear of the Lord is clean, Psalm 19.9. Enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they. God's word. His words to us. 
More desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Psalm 119, 103. How sweet are your words, God. God's words. How sweet are they to my taste. Sweeter than honey to my mouth. The rabbis uh, grabbed a hold of these passages and in order to impress God's word into their minds and into their hearts and understanding how important it is to meditate on it, to consume it, to, to allow it to impact our minds and our hearts, uh, the, the rabbis would gather children on their first day of formal education at six years old. They would gather them into the synagogue. Then as they gather them into the synagogue, they would sit them down and they would hand them each a slate that, where they would learn how to write the uh, Hebrew alphabet. And, their, and the rabbis would spend time teaching them the Hebrew alphabet. And after they got done learning the Hebrew alphabet, they would then go and smear honey all over the slate and, and read these passages to these kids and then have the kids lick the honey off the slate. And for those of you guys that don't like germs, you're saying you right now. But you have to imagine the impact that this had on these six-year-olds that they never forgot their first day of school because they learned at six years old, that God's word is sweet like honey. That it is meant to be consumed, devoured, chewed on. And that it was satisfying to their soul. And so today, I hope that as you came in, that you received a craft pure honey packet. What I would like us to do is to actually take part in doing the same thing that those children did. And those rabbis taught, would you open your honey packet? And if you're brave enough, consume the pure honey. And remember that this honey, it's a picture of what God's word is like to us. That's really sweet. <laughs> How intentional are we about digging into God's word? And are we a people committed to meditating, to growling, to chewing, to consuming the things that God wants us to consume? His words. Do we see this, this Bible as this sweet honeycomb that is desirable and tasteful not only to our lips but to our actual soul and what would it look like if we as God's people his chosen children if we were willing to pursue his words with everything that we have that our hearts would be inclined to what he has for us and every day we woke up with the mindset that God has something for me something he wants to say to me something that he wants to teach me something that he wants to show me that's going to Reveal the greater reality of who he is and what he's doing in, in my life and in your life and in our life. And that we be a, be a people that are committed to him, committed to hearing from him, and that our hearts would be inclined to him. A couple of things that I want you to think about 
Number one, would you be willing to reflect on your heart and ask what you fill your mind and heart with each day? And is God's word the thing that trumps everything? That you're willing to hagah God's word, meditate on his word every single day, to be intentional digging into God's word, to allow him to speak to you. What would it look like for you to learn to meditate on God's word individually and in a community? What does that look like? Your home group, your men's group, your women's group, where you together with other people are chewing on God's word. You're learning to do it together. What would happen instead of just sitting back passively listening if you jumped in to the discussion? You jumped in and dialogued about what God's word was saying to you. And lastly, what would it look like if you learned to memorize God's word and put it in your heart? That you meditated on it over and over and over again, that it actually moved from your head, something you were reading, to actually into your heart. May I propose John chapter 14, 23, as maybe the first passage you've ever learned or memorized and meditated on. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is inviting you to love him. And the way that you're going to love him is by consuming his words and keeping his words. And that you would keep them stored in your heart. And the reason why we would do such a thing is because we understand what Jesus has done for us. He's come for us. And he came and died for us. And he paid for all of our sins so that we could have relationship with him. And so we could be partners in restoring the world back to its original intent. God's kingdom here on earth. God ruling here on earth. Jesus ruling here on earth. That's what Jesus is inviting you into today. And in order for that to happen, it requires you to surrender to him it requires you to decide, I'm going to keep his word. As we get ready for communion, I want to invite you just to have a conversation with Jesus about what it would look like for you to begin to meditate on God's word. That leaving here today, that you would start something new with him. That you would start a new habit of listening and meditating on what he has for you. And that you would be reminded over and over again that he loves you. And he's called you to love him, to love him back by keeping his word and obeying his word. Let's spend some time as we get ready for communion this morning.